Hello, hi, thank you for joining me. I'm Kathy Afolari, your host for This Mama Can, This Mama Will series, where I'm joined by moms who are excelling in their field to share their expertise on parenting, career, entrepreneurship, and everything in between. So stay tuned. Do you know an inspirational mother who is excelling in the field of science, education, business, creative arts, sports and more? Why not nominate her for the Excellent Yummy Mummy Awards? EYMA is a celebration of women who are not only mothers but movers and shakers of their fields and communities. Nominees will be shortlisted by judges and then voted for by the public. Winners will then be announced on the day of the ceremony. Hurry! Visit www.eymawards.com and nominate that mother of excellence today. Today, I am super excited to have the incredible, the exemplary Celestina Onie Thomas with me. Uh, She's a UK-based mother of two, a qualified and practicing psychotherapist, coach and motivational speaker she's also the author of um, the art of disciplining with love she and her team won excellent yummy mommy awards mom owned business of the year 2020 i am super excited to have you on celestina welcome thank you for having me wow okay so our topic for today is um maternal mental health and its impact on parenting so who better to have on than you? Awesome. <laughs> okay. Can't wait. <laughs> I know you're very passionate about emotionally conscious parenting. Um, yes. And your book, in fact, is primarily about that, the art of disciplining with love. Um, what does it mean to be an emotionally conscious parent? Um, it means you're aware of what you do and why you do what you do. Um, it means that you've, you're willing to deal with your own past and what has caused your pain in order not to pass it on. It means you know that your child is their own independent section of themselves and not an extension of yourself. Because a lot of the times, you know, I see parents, they're parenting as, oh, this is what I like. So this is what my child must like. Or this is what my child should like or my child should be. Um, whereas, you know, being a conscious parent, you know that you are you and your child is them. Um, so that is what being a conscious, more conscious parent is. You know, every time you do something, every time you're disciplining your child, every time you're having a conversation about your child, every time you're buying something for your child, having in mind they are themselves and you are you. That is what being conscious parent is. Perfect. So they're not an extension of you. They're their individual person, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, From you. They might be from your body. They might be, you know, you just raising them because some people, they're they're, um, they're foster parents or they're adopted parents or um, they they had a surrogate that carried their own child. Um, Or, you know, you could have carried your own child yourself. But just to be aware that they are themselves um, and you are you. Okay, perfect. And how to, um, so how do you actually center your parenting around that? Knowing that, okay, my child is not my own. I do not own him or her. Um, I'm just a parent. So how do you parent around that? 
as an individual child like every child matters I've heard that before so how do you use that framework to concentrate on your child let's say you have three children so how do you treat them each as an individual and parent accordingly and I've got two children um, and their personality is completely different so if I try to do what works for one to the other it just would not work that one will probably have a tantrum because it'll be like what is this this this, this is not me um, so I think from when parents are aware that their own child is going to be themselves and trying to understand your child, you know, what works for them, what doesn't work for them. And one of the ways that I, I teach and I coach parents to be able to do this is um, love language. So be aware of what your love language is and try to understand what your child's love language might be. So the example that I can give is, for example, um, when I was growing up, my stepmom's love language was gift. So she assumed that that was all our love language. So if she, if she offended us, she would buy us a gift. If she did something wrong, instead of apologizing, she would buy us a gift. Whereas, you know, as you may know, love language is five different types of love language. And gift is not everyone's love language. Sometimes exactly. affirmation is. Sometimes, you know, telling your child well done, that could be, you know, what that child really wants. Or spending time with that child could simply be what love means to that child and what appreciation means to that child. So understanding what works for you is great, but also understanding and trying to understand what works for this child, this specific child, not okay. I've realized that my firstborn likes gifts. So that means the rest of them must love gifts. The rest of them. It is that simple. (laughs) Exactly. If only. (laughs) We'll get like a little machine and just, you know, hand it all out. (laughs) That's me sorted for the moment. Okay. Exactly. (laughs) Well, the fact that, it is not always like that mm. you know sometimes it is often it's not because they are even twins are so different mm. the personality will be even being raised in the same home the way one person will experience the same thing will be completely different what they observe will be different what they remember will be different Definitely. so try to understand your child's uniqueness um away from yourself but also still aware of yourself because again you can't pour from an empty cup so, you know, always be aware of yourself and what works for you. But it's absolutely important as parents for us to then look at the spec from the child's point of view. What works for them? What can they see? What are they feeling? What are they interpreting the situation as? And conversation is absolutely important. So don't just assume um, things, you know, ask your child and you know, have that open communication with your child so they can tell you and reflect back to you what works and what doesn't work. Mm. You mentioned not pouring from an empty cup. Right, which leads well into my next question, because um, if a mother is struggling with um, mental health problems, can they also be an emotionally conscious parent? Absolutely, absolutely. So the way that I, I um, explain um, mental health to people is it's a spectrum. So there's the up and there's the down. Um, you know, so sometimes you're in the middle, sometimes you're at the end, sometimes you're on top. So the fact that you are struggling mentally does not mean you cannot be conscious um, for your child it just means that you know as long as you're aware for example you're going through um, menopause you're going through stress you're going for anxiety you're going for depression as long as you're aware of what you're going through then you're getting help you know so the first the first step is being aware isn't it and the second step is get help so if you're getting help and if you're also having that open communication with your child in the sense of you know letting your child know oh today mom is a bit tired 
not just, you know, snapping at your child just because you assume your child should just know that you're tired today. But having that conversation with your child, you know, I'm a bit tired today. Mum is a little bit stressed out today. So having that conversation with your children is absolutely important. But getting help is absolutely important as well. So the first step is being aware. The second step is definitely getting help and then having that convert communication, that open communication with your child. It's so vital um, in doing and trying to do the right thing for your child. Mm, that's very true. But what if, you know, um, the example you gave about snapping at your child and then not just assuming that they would understand that you're tired. What if you've already snapped at the child? Is it OK to go back and say, oh, sorry, mom was really tired and stressed out? Just explain why after the fact. Absolutely. It's so important to apologize to our children when we have done wrong. It's, I, I can't even stress that enough. It's so important because also it's modeling the fact that they matter. And when you're able to apologize to your child, then when they're out there and they're in relationships, you know, friendships, whatever it may be, they know that their emotions and the, the, they, that they matter. And if you, the parent, can apologize to them honestly, sincerely, um, then they know that they matter in the sense of no one deserves to be shouted at. No one deserves to be disrespected. Um, and if my own parent do not disrespect me and my own parent do not you know, abuse me and do not you know, mistreat me, then absolutely the child is going to grow up thinking no one ever should do that to them. So apologizing even when we do make mistakes, because... Life is not about being a perfect parent. There's no such thing anyways as perfect parents. Sometimes we'll slip up. Sometimes we'll be stressed. Sometimes we'll be annoyed. Sometimes we'll forget um, the school letter to sign it. Sometimes we'll forget to, to be in the right place or to buy them the right thing that they wanted. We might forget certain things. We might misdo certain things. And we're always developing as parents as well, aren't we? You know, we're always learning. We're all trying to do better. Exactly. Well, we should always be Exactly. That's the thing. We should. We should be trying. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We should. So to absolutely go back to your child and ask. And another thing I, I, I absolutely encourage parents to do as well is have that conversation with their children as, how was mommy today? Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything that you felt um, I could have done better today? I think it's absolutely important to have that conversation with your children at least once a week. Once have a that week? Conversation. I think mm-hmm. once My a week. Would love it. It'll be like, this is what you've done. This is what you haven't done. Yeah. But I think it's important. And the thing is, because once they start getting used to it, mm. then they they always um they they're always um prepared to also give you that feedback as well, okay. and to know that you're not gonna lash out at them when they give you that feedback. And sometimes, you know, it's children are children, aren't they? Yeah. They will be like, "Yeah, you, you, I wanted new trainers, I wanted new Xbox, or I wanted that." So obviously, you know, mm-hmm. just be prepared that them they might just you know take it a little bit far, exactly. but also. <laughs> They're human, aren't they? They're mini humans. Mm-hmm. Try to take advantage of it, but <laughs> they might. They might try to take advantage of it sometimes. But they will always also be in a place to know that they can always reflect mm. back. Could have done better. And you, we just as parents need to have that that um that relationship with our children where they can come to us, we can go to them, and just have that mutual respect mm. of I hear you. I would really try to hear you. And when I don't really hear you. It's okay for you to let me know that, mom, you didn't really hear what I said. Dad, you didn't really hear what I said. And just let me know as much as possible what I could have done better. Because again, as parents, we're coming from our own baggages mm. and the way we were raised. So there's certain things that we would do that, you know, work perfectly fine for us. 
But for this particular child that you're raising now, it does not work. But if there's no communication of let me know, then we're just going to keep doing what we're doing because we just think that that worked for us. So it must simply work for this child. Mm -hmm. So just having that communication and that um, relationship is really important. Very true. So it's important for them to have a voice and feel heard. Okay. Sort of like what you mentioned in your book about raising children on love and empathy rather than fear and adrenaline. Absolutely. Because, um, you know, as, as I'm, I'm a black woman, so mm. the way that... I was going not- to ask you to touch on that fear and adrenaline for black children, especially, you know, yeah. yeah, so if you can touch a bit on that, how you were exactly. raised and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Um, the way that I was raised as, you know, as black, as a black woman in, in England, in mm. Britain, um, it's simply the way that my parents were raised and the way their parents were raised and their parents were raised. And I was raised by my, by my dad. I've mentioned it in my book as well, by my dad and his wife, so my stepmom. And even, you know, even though she downtoned and downplayed the way that she was raised for us, she would always let us know, you're having it easy. My dad was worse with me. And it's like, Don't we always say that? that, though. I say that to my children. And my parents are not <laughs> even bad. I'm like, you guys are so lucky. <laughs> my stepmom used to say that all the time. And she used to tell us the things that her dad used to do. And she would be like, I don't even do half of what they used to, what, what, what she went through. Mm-hmm. So she would be like, you're so lucky. You don't know how lucky you are. And it's like, yeah, but you didn't like it when he did it to you. So why so, are you doing it? So why are you doing it? Do you find sometimes they feel like it's payback? Like it happened to me. So it's my turn to do it now as well. So it's fine. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which, which is what I definitely feel. You know, that's why we parent the way we parent because, you know, it's like it's now, now it's my turn. Because when I was younger, one of the things that, you know, I remember my parents used to do is the remote control be right in front of them. Oh, yeah. And they would call me from upstairs to come and get the remote control that is just in front of them. And I'm like, I could never say to them, just get up. Why can't you just get up? But now I find Evil. myself sometimes, I find myself sometimes doing it. I like, I'll call my son from the next room. Oh, can you pick up that remote control? Can you pick up that paper for me? Or, oh, can you find me a pen? And I'm like, I can find my own pen. My pen is in my bag. My bag is just around the... Exactly. But you know what? It, it happened to me. So just let me give you a little fraction of what it felt like. Mm-hmm. It happened to me. <laughs> so I completely get that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. There's certain things that I do as well. And I'm like, oh, man, why am I doing that? Um, but again, it's just about just being aware of it didn't work for me. I didn't like it. So why would I want to then raise another child that I know they're not going to like it or they're probably, you know, they might like it. They might not, you know, some children simply like running errands anyway. So, you know, some children might like it. <laughs> some kids probably do. I've actually met a few kids that actually love running errands. They're like, what do you need me to do now? And I'm like, it's fine. Just take that. No, no, no. What do you need? Do you need me to do anything else? Do you find it depends like, on the age as well? Like, I think they reach a certain age. They're like, no, nah, I'm not doing this. I agree. I think when they're around two, they want to sweep everything. They want to clean everything. Exactly. They want to help you till about six. And they're like, leave me alone. About seven? No, no, no. What the do mommy, why do I have to do this? Because like, it keeps the house clean. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I completely agree. I think I digressed a little bit from your no, question. No, it's fine. We'll find a way back to it. So, yeah. So raising them with love and empathy. 
absolutely and part of that is definitely like I mentioned having that open communication and relationship and respect mm. because growing up there, there's something um that I've definitely noticed in the black community mm. where there's lack of respect for the child um it's like you know you can speak to the child but they can't speak back to you and that can get really confusing for the child as they're growing up because then they go out there and they're like you know this is how I'm treated at home so I can treat other people like this and I find that it takes years for the person you know male or female to kind of come out of that come out of you can't talk to certain people like you can't talk to your teacher like this you can't talk to your friends like this you can't talk to people out there like this but I think it's simply because of the way they've been spoken to at home and not having a voice at home. So it's like, I can't have a voice at home. So I'm going to go out there and have my voice. Mm. I'm going to go out there. You know, I have to let off the steam somewhere. It has to go somewhere. Um, so definitely trying our best to raise our children in love and have an empathy for what they need um, and who they are is so important. And, you know, in the black community, raising children in fear, of, of course, with the spanking, with the shouting, mm. um, and, you know, other ethnicity definitely do this so it's not just a black community that just spikes it's people do this <laughs> everyone <laughs> most people around the world do this um every ethnicity most ethnicity around the world do this um but you know i find in the black community what we've internalized it as is it's our culture mm. um white people don't see it as their culture some asian people see it as their culture as well um, but what people see as this is how our, I was raised, it worked for me, so I'm just going to do it back to you. Whereas in the black community, we see as this is the only way to raise a child. This is our culture to raise a child like this. So it's not even us sitting back and thinking, is it okay? Is it not okay? I didn't like it. Should I carry on? It's just, it's our culture. So that's just what we do. And what happens, you know, and I mentioned this in my book as well, what tends to happen when we shout and when we spank children even if it's a slight spank and it's you know just a power you know on the ass or on the arm or something it's small it can really have a negative effect on the brain um it can also trigger the dna i mentioned this in the book as well um because a lot of the time you would find you know when they did a study in the of dna of black people jewish people and asian people and white people what they found was there was a certain dna that was dormant especially in jewish people and black people um, is doormat and of course if we then go back to you know why what is this dna what is it about you know it's mental health issues and what is it about this particular dna you'll find out that actually the black people and jewish people were enslaved for a large amount of centuries you know jewish people were enslaved for about 400 years um the same a lot length of time as black people and even the black africans that was not in slavery they were the countries were colonized by white people so you were a slave in your own country like they still dominated you but just not the same way as um the abuse that slave people went through but that is still dormant in our dna and when you spank a child or you shout at a child that starts to get triggered and the more that particular dna gets triggered it can cause mental health issues and um other there's a whole lot of issues it can cause but, if, you know, one of the main ones is definitely mental health, you know, schizophrenia, um, depression, anxiety, um, you know, hearing voice, which is, you know, quite similar to schizophrenia as well. So mm. There's a lot of in our DNA that is doormat, that, you know, shouting and the things that we call culture and parenting um, in Jewish people and in black people, it's 
you know, more, more important that we try to refrain from this type of parenting. It's hard because again, that's how that we've been parented for centuries, for 500 years or whatever. Um, but you know, it's time that we try, we try our best to be as conscious as possible in how we parent and deal with our own emotions. Because a lot of the time when we spank the children, one, we think, you know, this is the way we were parented. This is the only way to parent. But two, it's also because we're stressed, we're an angry, we're annoyed at something they've done and we're just lashing out, to be honest with you. Mm. So there's two reasons, you know, a lot of the time we spank children and we discipline them and, you know, chastise them the way we do. And a lot of the time it's one of, the, one of those two things. Um, so that is where tr- fear is, tends to be triggered. And um, just to just touch a little bit more on fear, because I know that was your question. Um, fear gets triggered. When fear gets triggered in the, in the human body, what happens is the brain goes into survivor mode. And when the brain goes into survivor mode, it literally thinks that person's going to die. Even though you think you're just spanking your child, but the brain thinks this hurts, I need to protect myself and survive another day. So the brain starts to shut down certain hormones and certain things in the body to survive. Because then again, it's not thinking, oh, I'm going to be okay in a minute. You know, just spank him a little bit. The brain literally goes into oh, wow, I'm in pain. I need to survive. How can I make this body survive? And it starts to shut down certain things. And one of the things it tends to shut down is the stomach because it thinks if I'm in pain, I don't need to digest my food. And you will notice in Jewish people and in black people, we have a lot of digestive issues. We have a lot of um, um, IBS, I think they call it, and all those things. And those are one of the reasons why it's so important that we try to discipline and raise our children differently than we've been raised because it's really harming our body. And this is getting passed on from generation to generation in our DNA. So um, I think like you were saying, so um, just working on yourself as an individual. So the first step to working on yourself so you can be a better parent is self-improvement, like taking some of your training that you have, you're talking about. Yes. Learning on love language, understanding where you come from, um, how you've been, who you are, which is obviously, you know, how your parents parented you and why you like what you like, why you dislike what you dislike. Um, Giving yourself each day time at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day just to process what you want to happen today. You know, do I want the karma? You know, what do I want to achieve? And then at the end of the day, did you achieve these things? What could you have done better? Not necessarily being critique of yourself as in, oh no, I'm awful. Da, da, da. No, we're not going down that path. It's just what can I do better? Because, you know, we pray every day that we get a second chance to, you know, be a better parent each day and do better in our business and our career and whatever, your relationship every single day. So it's all about just knowing that, you know, you've got tomorrow. It's not the end of the world. What can you do better? What could you have done better? And what have you also, what have you also achieved today that you're grateful of? Because gratitude is so important and it's important for us to process the day and be grateful for what we achieved, um, that we're even alive. You know, I made this for today. You know, that in itself is, is an achievement, to be honest. Yeah, especially these days, you know, with everything that's going on. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so um, work on yourself by taking inventory of the day. Um, and secondly, maybe, um, did you say maybe just loving on yourself? Did you touch on self-love love at all? Or? That is absolutely important. I spoke about gratitude. 
Um, yes. But self-love is so important. You know, like I mentioned earlier, which I, I guess I kind of did touch on it. You know, you yeah, can't you pour from an mm-hmm. empty cup. So, you know, if you can refill your own cup, if you know how to refill your own cup, you know, and that is also part of the love language, isn't it? Because if you know what your love language is, then you will know what, what, you, what you can do for yourself to show love to yourself, to refill yourself, to look after yourself, which is all part of self-care. Um, so if it's the fact that, you know, you're the kind of person that you love um, affirmations or you love um, positive words, then those are the kind of things that you definitely need to make sure you're regularly doing for yourself. You're regularly patting yourself on the back. If, you know, buying yourself gift helps, even if it's just one pound or one dollar, you know, it's important. Buy yourself something. If it's a journal or a pen that you need to buy yourself, something small it doesn't have to be expensive and cost you an arm and a leg but just to kind of say to yourself well done you achieved this or well done you survived today you survived yesterday so you know self-care is so important and is very much linked into you know what your love language is don't just do what other people do you know some people think self-care is buying yourself things and you know that could be their self-care um some is getting their nails done and their hair done that could be their self-care but what is yours it's all about knowing what yours is and doing it as often as you can to fill your own cup. Perfect. And then filling up your own cup will help you be a better parent. Absolutely. A more conscious parent. A more conscious parent, yes. Filling in your own cup, being aware of yourself, your past, and what you want to achieve. Showing gratitude towards yourself and those around you will absolutely help you be a more conscious parent. Perfect. Um, in terms of mental health, um, do you find that in certain communities it's hard for um for them to discuss the topic and being more specific in terms of um the black community yeah is it harder for us to discuss mental health and why is that absolutely it's definitely much harder for for the black community it used to be hard for the asian community but what i've noticed because i've been a psychotherapist for about 12 years now what i've noticed in the early years you know most of my clients were white children white parents white men white women um mostly women and children um but as the years went on men started coming the white men started coming um and then we started seeing some black women but the black women that black people that were coming through were younger people and you know one of the things that they would definitely express was my family cannot know i'm here you know they would shame me so badly they would call me weak they would call me this so in the black community and in the asian community previously the asian community asked in the past five years i am seeing a large amount of asian people really seeking help and being open about it you know i would see parents bringing their children to therapy which you know till today i don't actually see black people doing that i see asian mm-hmm. and white people have been doing it for time <laughs> um but the black community you know the person will come themselves or, you know, maybe if it's in a relationship, you know, the husband and wife will come together. But it would not be, you know, my child is having issues in tr- in school. So I think she or I think he needs therapy. That is what Asian people are mostly doing nowadays. And, you know, for the past past five years to make sure that their children are top, getting top mark. They're bringing them to therapy to make sure they're mentally OK, to make sure they keep reaching the top mark. Um, so, you know, Asian people are doing it for their own reasons to make sure their children are mentally healthy. So they're achieving greatness. Um, but they're still bringing them (laughs) which is like exactly that's that's the most important thing exactly but in the black community it's shone upon so much of Mm -hmm. you know because we see ourselves as we've overcome so much you know what could be going wrong in your life you've got a roof over your head you've got food in your tummy what is so bad that you're mentally or not not okay 
you know, so there's all that stigma that's attached to it. And, you know, when people come, black people, they tend to feel the first few sessions is all about, they feel so bad that they're even there. Um, it's all about, wow. you know, they're weak. And it's like, no, you come in for help. It's strength. You putting up your hand and saying, I need help. I can't go on. Or you even putting up your hand and saying, I need help to make sure I can keep going on. That is strength. So the first few sessions, even a lot of the time with black community, black people, is me explaining, you've been here in strength. You've been here in strength. Literally, the first few sessions is literally me saying, you've been here in strength. It's strength, you know, be proud that you put up your hand and you're trying to be better you. Um, so the stigma is so, so bad in the black community. Um, and I think it's also a bringing, isn't it, of, you know, you don't tell an outsider what your problem is. You don't hang your dirty laundry outside. So all of that is incorporated with the fact that, you know, we're superhuman. We see us, you know, we've been labeled as superhuman. We can overcome everything. We've overcome so much more. Um, so all that linked together definitely is part of what the issue, I think, the Black community find it so hard to seek help and to come counselling mentally um, physically, even physically, to to seek help, it's 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 quite hard for them to go to the doctor and say my knee's hurting. I mean, needs to be half broken, or they will wait mm. passing out before they go to the doctor, and the doctor's like, "Yeah, you're diabetic," and it's like, didn't you notice that your blood sugar was going up and down, that you were feeling dizzy and lightheaded before you got to a place where you're now actually diabetic? But they wait wow. so late to get help, mentally, physically. A lot of the time, the black community wait so late to get help. Um, so mm. hopefully that can start changing with our generation or the next generation. But it's still going to be, you know, it's still a long way. But, you know, we can only hope. Yeah, that's true. And there's a lot of shaming around it as well. Like, you know, like if you know someone that's got mental health or they've been to the hospital for their mental health, there's this like, oh, are you going to still be friends with her? She might just wake up one day and attack you. And because yeah. I've gone through that recently, like um, having to visit someone in hospital, they were in a mental hospital yeah. and um, just being told, I think then I was quite, I was pregnant with my daughter and I was told, why are you taking your pregnancy to that kind of hospital? You don't know the kind of spirit that will enter you. Mm. You know, but I felt like I'm going to visit a friend. I'm going because part of not being well, you need someone there for you to show that you're loved and you're cared for so that your recovery can be, can be speedy. Absolutely. But instead I'm being told, no, you shouldn't go there because what, would happen to you so I think we also need help with that as well like just understanding that going to see someone that's unwell is not wrong yeah or supporting them there's no point alienating someone just because they're depressed or they have schizophrenia whatever it is running away from them is not the solution absolutely and I'm so glad that you actually touched on the spiritual aspect because oh my goodness yes they, they spiritualize black people spiritualize it uh, when you're mentally not okay there's a demon inside you there's a spirit following there's a spirit like leading you to want to hurt yourself or hurt other people and it's like you know what sometimes what we've been through is enough to turn anyone stressed to turn anyone to want to give up on life and i'm not saying it's not spiritual because i know some people be like no, no no it's spirit it's spirit i'm not saying it's not spiritual but i am saying even if it's spiritual and even if you are a spiritual person, do you spiritualize physical health? 
do you spiritualize someone with cancer? Do you spiritualize someone with diabetes? Do you spiritualize broken bones? So if those things are not spiritualized, then why is mental health spiritualized? Um, because exactly. tumor is inside them. You can't see it, but you can probably take a scan of it. But even with mental health disorders or mental health illnesses, if you take a scan of the person's brain, you can actually see the part that is lacking or the part that is you know, inflamed or changed or the colors will change. Um, so there is the physical sign um, as well as the mental sign when someone is mentally unstable and mentally, you know, mentally ill or, you know, stress and all those things. So I, my, 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 my thing to churches, cause I think, you know, churches and mosques and they, they hold the power in actually changing that a lot more than I can try my best. You know, I've done workshops in churches and mosques. And what I always say to them is if you're not spiritualizing physical health, like bulk and bones and things, if your child fell and they broke the bone, would you say, you know, in Jesus name, you are healed, get up now and, you know, call the child stupid and ridiculous for not getting up and weak for not getting up with the fact that the bone is broken. So if that doesn't happen, why is it that when, you know, someone goes through mental trauma or they're mentally unstable, or they're mentally, you know, going through certain challenges, you spiritualize it and you just expect them to get up, be okay and get on with life. Um, so I think what I try to do is try to make it as, you know, clear as possible in that <laughs> using those two references. Because to me, they're absolutely the same thing. And, you know, if we can visit sick people in hospital because they broke a bone or certain things, exactly. we can absolutely visit someone who's mentally there because they need help, because they weren't able to do certain things and now the help has been taken out of their hand. And, you know, in regards to Black people and um, the, mental, um, the mental health, one of the things I've definitely noticed from research is the fact that we are more likely to be sectioned than go counselling and get mental help before we're sectioned. Again, it's one of those things of we're waiting too late. We're waiting till, you know, you know, the hospital are having to inject us and section us and give us pill before we're like, oh, wow, I needed mental support. Um, so, you know, mm. there's, you know, statistic, even, in, you know, overseas, because again, in Africa countries and Caribbean countries, there's really not the mental, the mental health again, because of the stigma again, um, there's no statistics to actually show who, how many people are mentally unstable there. Um, but overseas in America, USA um, and India and those kind of countries, it shows that black people are more likely to be in mental health homes. And when we look at the statistics of people who are there, the large, the statistics is showing black people are more likely to be there. And there's a large number of them either in prison or in mental homes. And it's, that to me is just so sad. I know there's the racial side of it as well. I'm not going to lie that, you know, you know, the racial context doesn't also add to you know, the mental stress that we're going through and why, you know, black people are more likely to be in prison and in mental homes. Um, but I think it's time that, you know, parents and, you know, individuals become, um, start realizing that everyone has a mental health. It's just, you know, where on the spectrum of the mental health are you on? And what can you do to make sure you and people around you and your children are mentally stable to make sure you're mentally going to keep being okay. It's like, you know, physical health, you know, we hear from doctors all the time, eat your five to 10 foot and veg a day, do exercise, drink lots of water. But what are we doing to mentally be okay? No one is doing anything. No one, well, hardly anyone's doing anything. And no one is really talking about how you can be mentally okay, um, but physically okay. Doctors are, you know, making it clear what we can do. So I think it's about educating ourselves as much as we can to also know if you're human, if you're alive, 
You need to physically look after yourself and you need to mentally look after yourself. Perfect. I think that just rounds it up, sums it up perfectly. If you're human, you need to physically look after yourself and mentally look after yourself. Absolutely. Um, I mean, your wealth of knowledge and your experience has really helped as well. So um, I was going to say, I don't know whether you know um, of a group called the Motherhood Group. I have heard of that, actually. Yeah, they've launched a Black Maternity Maternal Mental Health Week, which started a couple of days ago, actually. Okay. So it's just... Yeah, just to create awareness around um, the strong black woman myth yes. that's going on. Don't know whether you can you care to touch a bit on that. Absolutely, you have in a roundabout way, but um, if you can just yeah, I mean, touch on it a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. The black mental health is so important because you know, again, statistics have shown that you know black people are you know black women are more likely and black babies are more likely to die. Um, and when we ask for help, a lot of the times, again, because we're superhuman in their mind, we're not really getting the help that we need until, again, it's too late, until, you know, the person is passing out, um, until, you know, the, the, the child's heart is stopping and starting. And all of this is just, it's a massive cause for concern. But I think if we're mentally looking after ourselves and if we're mentally able to advocate for ourselves, it will be so, mm. because we have to, because when we're speaking to doctors, they're like, no, 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 there's nothing wrong with you. You're fine. And in your body, you know you're not fine. So even if your doctor says you're fine and you know you're not fine or you know your child is not fine, I would absolutely say keep advocating for your child. Keep advocating. Until you get the help you need. Get the help you need. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So what is the strong black woman myth? Um, the strong black woman myth is that um, during slavery, what they used to do, they used to inject the, the women um, and they will cut them open and they would do different things to them and they were not giving them anesthetic. And what was happening was they were surviving those operations. So because they were surviving those operations, the myth came from the fact that we are superhuman. And because um, during slavery, again, the men were able to carry really heavy things. Um, they were able to you know, overcome really cruel torture and still survive. The limbs were being cut, you know, were being chopped off, regularly beaten, and they survived, and the ancestors survived. So that is really where the myth of we are superhuman, we are really strong, um, and we can overcome really comes from. And that has just transpired into science because now when black women, black people tend to go to doctors, doctors are saying you're fine. And even in their studies, it's the fact that black people are strong. Black people can overcome a lot more than than um, other ethnicity so that is really where it comes from and I think you know like I said education is so important because once we're mm. educated on where these myths come from we can start being like oh my goodness what can I now do because clearly that's not true we're humans we're not superhumans we are humans <laughs> so I hope Definitely. that answers your question <laughs> No, yeah, it does. Um, just to finally round it up, I know I've said that like a couple of times, but um, if there's a mum out there that has, you know, that's depressed or whatever the um, mental struggle is and is feeling really guilty that, you know, they can't be the mum that they want to be, what would be your word of encouragement I would say to them? There is help out there. Um, seek help, get help. 
Um, there was no shame in getting help. We Again, we are humans. We're not superhumans. So absolutely speaking out and getting help is so important. Um, you know, if you're, you know, we can't know everything. So if you're having something, if you're finding ch- certain things challenging, it's okay to get help. It's okay to seek help. It's okay to ask for help. Um, I think that would definitely be the biggest thing I can say. And also the fact that it's okay to, you know, let your child know what you're thinking and what you're going through. Um, children, ch- children are really perceptive in the sense of they know even when you don't tell them. So you might as well be open and tell your child, mom or dad doesn't really know what to do here. You know, I'm really stressed about this situation. It's okay to just voice those things. It's so important. 